so we met um if you want to call it a meeting on on mastodon so so i let me let me start there before we get into intros or anything else um well i guess you can introduce yourself but mastodon how long have you been on there and what sort of brought you there so um mastodon i i became aware of i don't know six eight months ago Mm -hmm. um i have always struggled with the concept of centralized social media um for a while i tinkered with diaspora if you're familiar with that old product um i ran an, my own instance of live journal way back in the day when when live journal servers were a thing that one would own um, and run my, my concern point is with social media is not just about the 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 socialization aspect but also the data ownership and the privacy aspects of it um sure unfortunately sometimes you have to be like well okay but i want to be able to integrate with folks i want to have the conversations i want to i want to engage socially with individuals and you just kind of have to bite the bullet and accept it and say okay well i'm going to join the insert social media platform of choice here um and i've been on all of them i actually have accounts on services i intentionally don't use just to lock the names down but i became aware of a mastodon server instance uh, called infosec exchange which is run by a bunch of infosec folks like you know this seems like a fit for me sure Um, i reserve my name uh and then forgot about it for a period of time and uh then some rich individual decided they wanted to go buy a social media network and i went well you know i think it's time to dust off that thing and actually not just have a a placeholder account but like do a legit intro post and start interacting with individuals and understanding um what the fediverse is like or Fediverse. I'm not sure how you actually say that word because I've only ever read it. Um, sure. I might say Fediverse, but who knows? It's yeah, a made-up yeah. word. You could probably make up how you want to say it too. Right. Um, yeah. And, and so just, once you started interacting with folks, then I, I someone linked to you, and I apologize. I stepped all over just then. Oh, no worries. Keep, go ahead. Uh, I started interacting with folks, um, and I, I find Mastodon to be more personal um and that could be to do the size um there's you know what a hundred thousand people signing up a day to various services to various mastodon instances um versus the however many billions there are in other uh, social media platforms so so it could be it feels more personal simply because of the size and the scale of things it could be that i'm on a smaller niche if you will or smaller corner of of um mastodon uh and so i just don't get flooded i'm not like on the dot social right i'm i'm on a infosec focused um instance so obviously that's where it starts um yeah i thought about joining def the defcon mastodon instance i actually have the name my my name reboot kid reserved there on on the defcon social 
Mastodon instance. Mm -hmm. um, just because, again, I like to reserve these things. And somebody sent me the invite, um, so I might as well have it. Do we know how many users that's up to at this point? No, but I can find out if you're really interested. Yeah, um, I can I, probably find out too. Uh, you know, I'm, I know, I mean, Jerry's obviously doing a good job adminning InfoSet.exchange and wants to, you know, have a, a plan in place um, in terms of at any point he decides he doesn't want to spend the time being the, you know, sole proprietor of InfoSec.exchange, like where that would go. But in the world of Mastodon, and as we've learned in the world of social media as a whole, even with a big organization like like uh, like Twitter or you know the Bird site or whatever you want to call it, if you if if you can't say the word Twitter, um, it's nothing's forever, right? Nothing lasts forever. So, um, I mean, the the technology itself will, you know, seemingly can and will survive, and that's sort of the beauty of you know protocols over right with a you know a lot of people, especially when everyone was making the move over, you know, there was a lot of rah, 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 Mastodon. This is why it's great. You know, welcome. You know, we've been here for years and years, but now you're here. And so this is why it's great. Um, but I think having a backup plan, right. Having your name of you know, and defcon.social or some other place, or even, you know, having the technical chops or the know-how or the will to stand up your own instance, um, isn't, isn't a terrible idea because, um, you know, there's some benefits to that. And I think what you said early um, sort of spoke to me a little bit in terms of, you know, your stance around social media and um, I mean, not so much around the, the privacy aspects, though I understand the importance of that, especially, you know, certain people have different threat models and, and you know, have a need for, for an, you know, an increased level of privacy when it comes to social media. But for me, it's and this is the reason why I have a blog and, and suggest and recommend to others that they have a blog is that it gives you the opportunity to carve out a space on the internet that, that truly reflects your values, your identity, your personality, your creativity. Um, and that's something that I don't think, I mean, there's probably social media platforms that I'm not thinking of that can do that. But the big ones, Facebook, Twitter, you don't really get this. I mean, the thing I can think of is like MySpace. MySpace, you had the ability to like theme your like your page and you go there and it's, you know, it looks terrible, but it's you. You made it look that right. way. Facebook, it just looks like that. Twitter, you know, it's more about what you're typing. It's not, yeah, you can have a profile pic and maybe you can change some colors and stuff, but it, it's, it's really like everything's sort of the same theme. Um, and obviously you get something different with Mastodon. Mastodon's sort of Twitter-esque in that way, but just just what you were saying around, you know, having a place that's where you own the data, right? And you can make it, you can sort of expose yourself to the world in the way that you want to on your terms, um, I think makes a lot of sense. Well, and I think that that comes back from when I got into the internet. Um, when it was fun and quirky. Well, you know, I'm not gonna gonna say exactly how old I am, but I might have connected the internet at 1200 baud. Sure. Um, so, but and back then you, there were no commercial sites really. It was a, a college, and you were granted a, a slice out of a, a location, um, and you defined your personal web server if you wanted to run one, or your website on a common show 
shared slash slash hosted i apologize for my enunciation instance where you could um make it your own and and the and the the sovereignty of the data if you will relied with you you were you were owner and if you decided you know what i'm kind of done being out here you aside from archiving sites you packed up your bags and you went someplace else and that was just done um and that's not the case outside of decentralized systems so in a centralized system whether it's myspace or or facebook or twitter or whatever the what is it wt social that wikimedia stood up i mean there's 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 social media systems left right and center um but they're all about centralized control and centralized access and uh from an information security standpoint, owning your data um, gives you the ability to do certain things that relinquishing control of your data does not. Sure, yeah, and, and I think a lot of people are, are sort of laser focused for good reason because they either have the need to or because of what's going on with the ownership and Twitter around the benefits of decentralization, decentralization when it comes to that data ownership and the privacy aspects. But one, what, but one, you know, and this is not a novel idea, but one thing that I think is, you know, some of the value I'm seeing personally around the decentralized model is that, you know, beyond moderation, you know, there's, it's the ability for these communities to stand, to stand up and, and customize the way, you know, like for example, an infosec.exchange, you can do a, uh, rather than what I mean, I don't know what what Twitter's post limit is now, like 500 words, 500 characters. Yeah. But right. in Mastodon, it's well, infosec that exchange specifically, it's like 12,000 or 11,000, right. right? So that that alone just speaks to like some of the, you know, what do we want as a community? Let's make it that way, right? To to the extent that the platform and the protocol can support it, but it's it's purposely sort of customizable, um, and. So I, I, I think communities just get the the ability to say this is the way we want you know to live in this space, um, and then of course obviously interact with with all the other communities that are out there, uh, at least the ones that they want to interact with, right? So um, pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I, I came I I created Mastodon account like when I was in in 2018 um, when I first heard about it, um, but then you know got on was like I don't know what's going on. I don't know anyone who's here. Uh, it kind of looks like Twitter, but it's weird and different. And then I forgot about it four years later because of the obvious news, the obvious uh, turnover um, over there in, in Birdland. Um, yeah, now 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 I'm there, and it's and it's off. It's awesome. Obviously, people like yourself, me, tons of infosec people seem to like overnight. It seemed like yeah. like everyone everyone was there. Now some people were sort of at least for a week or two, it seemed holding on to uh, maybe Twitter, you know, I have followers or maybe it won't be, you know, obviously the tire fire that it is, uh, be- has become, and it still is. But, um, I, I mean, every, everyone that I, almost every, almost everyone that I followed on Twitter who had anything to say that I thought was interesting is, is on Infosec Exchange or Mastodon or some other their own their own instance. Um so so pretty cool. Um but yeah, so Infosec that exchange though. We are, we joined because 
were both infosec professionals. Right. And I didn't know you existed prior to joining the Mastodon. And so it was somebody that boosted you that let me see you and, and let us make this connection. And so um, I'm actually going to go back to through my feed and find that individual and thank them. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think I, I mean, I probably followed like, I don't know, 200 people maybe on Twitter. And in the in the span of like a two week period, now I follow like 450 people. So like the level of discovery, I, I mean, I'll say I never really got into Twitter that much. Like if my Twitter's still there. So if you were to go find my handle, you would and scroll through my the years that I had that account, you'd be like, oh, he wasn't very active. And yeah, I wasn't I didn't really post a lot, but I, you know, I read a lot of stuff that, that came through. But I just never I never found people. I never had engagement like one way or the other there. But but in like the first two weeks and then since then, you know, I've found a ton of people. You know, I've resp I've responded. I feel comfortable responding to people, um, talking about infosec. Um, you know, it's not. I don't know. It's not. It doesn't feel like it's like. I mean, there's certainly some people, on our instance or elsewhere that uh, like are doing the same stuff they did on Twitter. Like I don't know. It seems like they're clout chasing and trying to amass followers and stuff. But a lot of it's just like you're here, I'm here, we both like InfoSec, let's just talk about InfoSec stuff. Or like, whatever, nerd out. Or whatever. Right? You know, and, and I'm do. just likely to talk about ham radio. Yeah, I, I probably, I, I took a data communications class and forgot it all, but um, I'll nod my head at, at, at things. Um, but yeah, I mean, but that's the, that's the beauty of it is like, I don't know, it just seems, it, it seems, and I wonder how long this novelty will last, that the feeling around it being comfortable and welcoming and you know we're all like you know if you see the at infosec exchange you're like you're here because you're some you're like me in this in this one particular way um but i think that all sort of contributes to that that sense of community that some people may have captured at twitter like on twitter but i certainly never did i i, I think that that boils down to individuality i um I definitely feel more engaged with uh, on Mastodon, but again, that's the I think that's a sizing issue, you know. Um, sure. So and I, I think either go ahead. No, go ahead. I was I was gonna take us another way. I think the other challenge with that, of course, is the smaller size makes you feel more comfortable, makes you engage with more people, um, and that gets to be a. self self-perpetuating instance so the more you engage with people the more they they engage back obviously um yeah i mean if and, i mean that that instance alone is not we're not particularly in a particularly small pond anymore i mean thirty thousand plus people there but but obviously i mean we're we're inherently connected you know minus the few servers that um you know, we've defederated from or, or vice versa, but I mean, we have, we have access to, to, you know, the greater Mastodon universe. So it, I don't, I don't feel necessarily like that I'm in a small pond, but I, you know, and maybe it's just what I'm seeing more so than what exists, but what, you know, what I'm seeing is, is, you know, I think a lot of engagement, which makes me want to engage rather than just people shouting into the void um you know who 
who are, you know, the, the, the thought leaders or the influencers, the people who have 10,000 followers just shouting, um, and those people see, you know, seeing a lot of interaction, but, but, but not seeing anything else. Um, and that, that was, I think somewhat around the algorithm that Twitter had boosting things into your feed from, you know, those large accounts, um, in order to, to churn engagement, but it was really, you know, very few select individuals who are, who are, you know, 98% of what was going on on Twitter rather than on Mastodon, it seems, you know, 80% of the people are, are 80% of the, you know, yeah, of the engagement. I, I agree with that assessment. I absolutely do. Um, so anyways, InfoSec, um, obviously we connected because, cause, uh, you know, I, I, I put out the call. I said, Hey, you know, anyone who wants to come on the show, talk about InfoSec, let me know. Um, you were nice enough to respond. And, um, though you had your, you had your doubts about whether your particular discipline would be interesting, uh, or what you do, but, and I, I assured you that I, I don't, I mean, I can't, I don't know who thinks my podcast is interesting at all but I know that I do. And I think that what you do is pretty interesting. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about it. So um, maybe just introduce yourself to the degree that you'd like to and you know sure. what your role is, where you work if you'd like. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so my name is Nate. Um, I go by Reboot Kid Online. Um, interesting story for a different time about how I got that nickname, um, but it stems from back when we had to manually set jumpers for sound cards and what IRC chat server I was on. Anyways, um, I've been in cybersecurity before it was called cybersecurity. When it was before that, it was called information security. Before that, it was network security. Before that, it was you're in IT. Um, I'm a bit of a, a jack of all trades. Um, I got started being interested in security back in the I love you and SQL slammer virus days. Um, specifically, SQL slammer was an interesting one because uh, one of the observed things was when we were looking through the cam tables of the switches, trying to figure out what box was infected, how it was the whole nine yards. Um, I noticed that infected machines had a specific byte size to the packets. Um, and, and once you're able to identify a pattern, um, especially at the network layer, okay, every box that has a packet matching, I think it's 714 bytes. Don't quote me on that, but um, something like that. Um, once I was able to define, to identify that, I was able to, to write... Um, a bash script, actually, because I ran OpenSUSE as my as my distribution at the time. Um, I wrote a bash script that would connect to the to the switch interface, dump packets, check for anything, dump the interface information, check to see if anything had done it, reset the 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 counters, and then go do it again. And anything that automatically showed the right size packet, it would just admin down the ports. Um, and, you know, we would then go figure out what piece of malware they had, the whole nine yards. Um, the, com the company I was working for at that time um, noticed that we recovered in hours, whereas many of the branches were still down a week later and still struggling. And I was talking with then 
the CIO. And I'm like, well, here's what I did. Here's how I did it. You're free to copy off my homework as much as you want. Um, and he came back to me afterwards. He's like, so how would you like to start working on vulnerability management, on making sure things get patched, on you know, stuff like that? We'll obviously send you to training. Um, and so I did until the company no longer existed. Um, I'm, I now work for a place. I've, I've jumped around a few, but I now work for a place called Metadata, M-E-D-I, not M-E-T-A. Um, and I run the digital forensics and incident response program for the company. And uh, thousands of users, tens of thousands of machines, um, fairly good team. Actually, some of the best people I've ever worked with in my life. And I could probably only do what I do because of the people I work with. Um, sure. But it's, it is it is just a, you know, it, it starts from um, noticing something's wrong, looking into it, figuring out what broke, why it broke, how it broke. Fixing, you know, the cleanup phase is, is never any fun. Um, so you say, you say digital forensics instant response. Can you, can you give me, and I'm sure it, it's changed even from place to place where you have worked and, you know, from my own experience, that function can, can manifest its, itself in, in different ways as well. But it, from, from your perspective, what, what all sub-disciplines sort of comprise a, a DFIR team? Um, you know, just just in the name, you know, digital forensics, incident response. So, you know, there's, and I'm just going to throw things out there, right? There's obviously there's, uh, you know, disk-based forensics, you have network forensics, you have threat hunting, you've got like traditional like analysts like SOC sitting in front of like terminal. So so for you, what what are all the different things that sort of make up? All of it. Um, so, so we have a... So what are, like vulnerability it. management, for example, does okay, that what? fall on a vulnerability management? Because I, yeah. I, does that fall within DFIR? So I'm just trying to no. get like what what is your yeah, yeah, yeah. what is your take on so 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 vulnerability management patching the whole nine yards. There's there's a there's proactive you know things you do before, and then there's reactive, the things you do after. Sure. And DFIR, in as far as I'm used to it, is always the you're playing cleanup. Something happened. You're tearing through a packet capture to find out how, you know, what payload got deployed. You're, you're carving up a disk image to find out, you know, what the employee did with the what file, right? You're, you're using um, data leak prevention tools to find out, you know, okay, well, Bob sent the file out to competitor, right? And, and what was in there and, and what did that look like? Um, you're responding to ransomware incidents. You're... You know, um, Tommy got his laptop stolen. What data is on there? Have we issued the you know remote nuke command? So all of that stuff. Um, I'd love to say that that I'm a I am a master in some specific niche. Um, I'm not. I'm a generalist. I, I already touched on that. Um, but um, no, it's it's. 
it's not architecting the secure environment on the front hand on the front end it's not vulnerability management it's not the patching associated with it it's not um compliance with standards it's not audit responses none of those things digital forensics is an incident response is something has happened you're responding to it um, and it can go as far as you know your engage with with lawyers and you're there in the court and giving expert testimony saying i observed action x happen on machine y at date z which indicates da 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 uh, obviously you know that's all going to change um so no it's it's not the it's not the vulnerability management it's the it's the janitorial service, if you will. I think that's probably the best way to talk about it. Um, sure. I'm I'm a digital janitor. Sure. Um, and sometimes that means I'm sweeping up the sawdust and sometimes that means I'm mopping up the puke. Sure. So like CSF, it's like detect, re- respond, recover type of activities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds about right. Um, so, so your background, you know, just sort of um, based on what you said and, and making some inference um, led you into, you know, this, the world of defense and, or, or, you know, forensics and response, uh, uh, instant response. Um, yep. You were, you know, Linux background, networking background, right? So for, for people who, because um, there's a lot of people who want to get into security, Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people asking, okay, I want to get into security. How do I do it? What does an entry level security job look like? And I, and for me, I see a lot of people recommending a couple different pads over and over people who say, go to help desk and do that sort of thing. And then try to move into a security role there because that's going to get you access to it. And there's people who say, go try to become a sock analyst or like knock to sock. So, so for people yeah. who, and, and I, you know, I think it's a lot of security people say, Hey, well, whatever you're trying to secure, Go do, you know, go be a sysadmin before you try to be a, you know, endpoint security expert. Go be, um, you know, learn about if you want to, you know, if you want to hack Linux systems, like learn Linux, right? Like don't try to jump right into a thing necessarily. I mean, not that you can't. And there's there's obviously a a need for people in, in security who have a background in something and an interest in how to secure it. But from your perspective, having been doing this for a long time and obviously you know now and probably in in a leadership role of sorts or at least in a mentoring role of sorts um what what would you suggest for people who want to enter this particular realm and it spans a lot of different sub disciplines um in terms of learning the basics getting that first role what does that look like what what are the opportunities like can people jump right into a uh like a disc you know um this forensic role right can they jump right into a threat hunting role or do they have to, or is there a, a more common path an easier path so um i actually get asked that question fairly regularly i, I mentor both at work um and i've recently started mentoring with black girls hack i met them at defcon um if anybody listening to this podcast later on is looking for an organization um, that they can mentor with or be mentored by i can I, I do recommend that organization sorry for the plug there dude but i have to it's a great hey, group that's why i'm here and that uh, and that that actually sounds like a pretty cool program i might actually chat with you about it um yeah we, we can talk about that at another time i can uh, just phenomenal organization phenomenal organization um and uh anyways so i i get asked the question okay how do i get in um 
and I'm very I'm always like I take the stance of come as you are because we need a diverse viewpoint um, we need people that are not Nate right and um, you know the no two people are going to think about a problem the same and if, if I just tell people okay here's how you solve this problem that doesn't actually bring as much to the table as a okay let's talk about this problem and let's let's break it down and, and let's work on it together and one of the things i found by mentoring is i learn almost as much uh, as i teach so that said you got to have something to start with because no one's going to let you talk get your your foot through the door you're not going to clear the the resume filters if you don't have something um, I, I, you know, certifications, I could cite the number, the, the ones I've got off the top of my head and the numbers and, and it, and I, I think that there's value in getting some basic certifications, um, not so much because it teaches you something, but more so because it shows to potential employers that you can learn those common systems. And I started as a generalist. Um, I started in, believe it or not, fixing printers in the Oof. in the 1990s. Sounds um, like a nightmare job for me. Yeah, deadlifting a, a Moppier 5SI to reassemble it after somebody got mad and... Uh, just destroyed the the tray and the, and stuff like that was a bit of a challenge but um so you i kind of worked my way up i you know went from printer support to desktop support to cert windows server support um to to doing cisco networking to doing cisco security to doing information security to doing yeah i got interested in linux actually cuz my then girlfriend came across a copy of Red Hat 1.0 on uh, at a computer show and thought I might be interested. So she gave me a CD to tinker around with it. Sure. But, um, you know, what's interesting about that and, and some of the other at least partial stories you've shared so far is, and, and this, this is one area that, you know, I think a lot of people want to get into it for a second. They do because a, they want to pick a career B they've, heard it pays well and is nice and is maybe they watch, watch Mr. Robot and think hacking is cool. There's a lot of reasons why people want to get in, but I think, <laughs> I think, a, and I'm not saying you have to have this, but it helps if you have, and, and it doesn't even need to be in security per se, but I think you've just in those stories, I see you have a genuine like interest and, and, and I think sort of a curiosity that you, you, right. you know, you satiate, you know, you sate that curiosity by, you know, the SQL Slammer story, you know, you, you, you dove into, you weren't the security person necessarily didn't sound like you were the networking person or you were somebody in charge of those systems. And, you know, you dove yep. in and you found things. And, and I think it's, it's that investigatory, like curiosity that, you know, I, I've not been a manager myself, but I've been in charge of hiring like interns and junior pr professionals and, especially for people who are just getting in, you know, a lot of people think, what certs do I need to have? What, you know, what, what are all these things I need to know how to do? Um, and it helps. Like the more, you know, that's great. 
but we don't I don't I don't expect junior people to come in and hit the ground running and be security pros. You're you literally don't know anything yet. You've not done anything yet. So I don't I wouldn't expect you to know much more than what is academic. What I what I gauge is your curiosity and your your willingness to 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 learn things cuz you have a genuine curiosity. So people who go out of their way to go like do CTFs or hack the box. I don't need to know what you've been hacking. I mean, if you can talk to me about it, that's great. But just saying that you've done it and and talking to me, um, even if you don't know how to answer trivia that I might give give you, and I tend to not do that, but if I ask you questions and you can just talk to me about it because you're you're interested in it, that's what I look for for junior people. And so, obviously nowadays you have to compete with the you know people who have infosec degrees or they've got you know GitHub maybe chock full of like cool programming projects and yeah, all that will help, but. I've, I've looked at people who have, who look great on paper next to somebody who just sat down with me for an hour and talked about how much they, you know, how much, you know, they have a home lab and they're doing this and that. And regardless of whether they could answer some super technical question I had, you know, that's, that's what I think is going to be, you know, more of an advocate for you in an interview for a junior position than anything else. I, I have to agree. Um, a late mentor of mine, a wonderful man, said to me, you hire for attitude and you train for aptitude. Uh, and I, I I, think that that's absolutely true. I'm When I'm looking for individuals, I'm looking for people that have, I, I would describe it as a bent mind. Um, you don't look at problems the way that normal people do in this mindset. You know, the the cybersecurity analyst, the the SOC analyst, the whatever, whatever it is you want to do, your your DFIR, your whatever. You you walk into the grocery store and you start noticing. Okay, well, this person is behaving different. There's that. And it's not like you try and do it. It's just that that there's a section of your brain that does pattern analysis without you even meaning to do it. And uh, example is um, walked into a bank one time without even you know I, I needed to go in and get a cashier's check for for whatever reason, and I noticed that I was just getting ignored because um, scruffy. Dude, I was, you know, it was the wintertime. I was wearing a, a long jacket. And so I looked up and I spotted where there was likely a dead zone for the security cameras. So I walked over and I stood in the spot where the dead zone was. Minute later, the security guard comes over and says, can I help you? I said, yeah, I need a cashier's check issued for da da da. And I got brought to the front of the line and uh, did my transaction and was out in just a few minutes. Most folks don't have that curiosity like you touched on, which I love as I, I love the way you described it here, by the way, Mike, um, they, they don't, they look at the world and they accept it as it is rather than how somebody else might take advantage of it. And when you're doing DFIR, when you, when you're doing this, you have to more think about 
how somebody else might take advantage of it, right? So um, when I'm hiring folks, I look for the people that have the inquisitive mind. I look for the folks that that are excited and have a pet project that they want to talk about. I have to have people that have certain certifications. Um, and when I'm talking and I'm mentoring and people are like, well, what certification should I get? What's going to do it? Uh, you know, that's a, you know, look at the resumes that are interesting. Look at the job postings that are interesting to you. See what common certs they're asking for and then go get those. Um, although I almost always encourage everybody to start off as a generalist. I, uh, it's, um, it's probably a little dated, but I'm like, seriously, start with making sure you can do Windows, make sure you can do Linux, make sure you can do Mac, make sure you can do Cisco, make sure you can do all of these things and that you can prove you can do it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with that. I I would also consider myself a generalist. Um, and for a couple of reasons, I agree with what you said there. Um, I mean, one, I, I find that in the world of security, no matter how much of a you know, specialization you want to have, you're undoubtedly going to find value in that specialization by knowing things in other realms. I mean, just because if you're, I mean, I mean, this is not a great example, but I mean, if you're a pen tester and maybe you, you think that, oh, I only do Windows pen testing, but uh, undoubtedly you're in an organization that has Linux servers or you're in, or, you know, the CEO and C-suite like have exceptions so that they can have Macs in the environment. So like undoubtedly you're going, or, or contractors come in, they have Macs, whatever it may be. You're always going to, you know, you're going to encounter things that, that fall outside of your specialty. So the more, if you have a background as that generalist and have built some experiences in other places, it, it all, it all sort of contributes. Um, the other, the other, the, my second point around just being a generalist versus and this is especially true for me is that it took me a while to find the things that I think that I might want to specialize in. Um, it's, you might have watched Mr. Robot. I always make this joke. You might have watched Mr. Robot and thought, Oh man, pen testing. That's like, that sounds cool. That's what I want to do. But only if you came in and sampled a few things, would you may have realized that threat hunting, like finding the Mr. Robot is way more fun to you or way more accessible um or you know you already have a background in in some way and yep. you, you know you're further along than that um so i definitely yeah definitely would advise people do the same thing you know sample a few things um before you you know pick something uh and and, and also never feel like you have to pick something there's a lot right. of like you and me who've made careers sort of being generalists in a way um, there's, you know, a lot of security engineering roles or, um, security positions in smaller organizations that need the guys and gals who wear multiple hats, right? People who can do a lot of things. And then the other thing is, is when you're going through that, you might find out that although something is very interesting to you, you're terrible at it and that's okay. I found out the hard way. I am terrible at being a red teamer. Sure. Terrible. Like I can, I can go through the checklists. I can find the exploits. So you, you can do it, but just not effectively. And so that's one of the other things I encourage people that come to me and, and ask for 
guidance on getting into DFIR is learn that it's okay to fail. Learn that it's okay to try something and decide you don't like. Um, because there's so many super specialized niches within information security. There's room at the table for everybody. And everybody has a slightly different role to play um, at the at the game. The game's wrong word. Um, everybody brings something slightly different to it and contributes in their own way, as I guess what I'm trying to say. And, and um, yeah, no, I like what you said. You know, we need people who are not. You said not Nate, not Mike, and that's the entire. I mean, that's like you. No, I mean. It's a great way of putting it. I mean, if 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 Nate and Mike were the answer to security, then it would be solved. We begin right, right. And the fact is, is that it's not. Um, and I mean, you see it all the time. There's a a giant gap. There's a skills gap. There's a per, you know, there's personnel gap. Everyone, you know, security is hiring so well, and that's why so many people are interested in getting in. It's because there's opportunity and it pays well, and everything. You can work from home and all the things that make it a, a good a good profession to be in. But um, the fact is, is that we don't, have, even if there were enough Nates and Mikes in the world and there's not, um, it's, it, it's, so for that reason, it's not the answer, right? Um, Agreed. There's just, we gotta get, we gotta get more people in and, and more people interested. And in order to get people interested, you know, I think, and I had this conversation with, uh, on, a, on a different show, um, this, this woman, um, who has her own class that she stood up. Um, she's, uh, based in Europe and she teaches other young women who are interested in, and in, in really any, any, any woman. And I think she's expanding it out beyond that in the future, you know, how to get an infosec, how to learn to code all these things. Um, the fact like getting that in front of people who might be interested, who never thought, you know, who never thought it was for them or, or that there's room, you know, at the table or room at these companies for them is super important. Um, uh, and actually, you know, I, I am interested in learning more about, I, I forget the name of the organization, um, Black Girls Hack or something that you mm -hmm. mentioned. Um, but yeah, I mean, finding things like that um, or, or, you know, sponsoring things and, and uh, or becoming a mentor or, or looking for a mentor in that way, I think is, is, is super important. I Honestly, it's, it's a great way uh, to give back. To the industry uh, i uh, um i've been mentored by a bunch of folks and they they've taught me things that i never you know, to do things that i never thought were even conceivably possible uh, by being active in the community Sure. Yeah, I, I think so. So there's there's one thing that I think a lot of people talk about in infosec around burnout, um, and I, I find that making something like infosec, something where you have something to contribute back to, um, actually helps stave off burnout. Um, I, I find in many ways by sort of engaging that other part of your brain where you're teaching, and rather than just like expending energy like constantly learning for yourself and doing things on the job, spend some of that time to, to give back and engage with the community and talk to people. And it gives you energy in this way. And I think, 
for, for me per- and, and, and maybe I can only speak for myself, um, but just in my experience, like having the blog and talking with people helps, I don't like feed, fuel my interest in, in learning and, and just keeping going. Right. Um, I don't, there's probably some science around that uh, and there's probably a more eloquent way for me to put it. But um, I think obviously, I think it, it just has this effect of helping people around you and helping yourself sort of, you know, the way I, I explain it to people when I've I've had a couple of mentees ask me, why do you do this? And, and, and the honest answer is because I get just as much, if not more than I give in the program. And, and it's what I think at least you're trying to convey. It's a helping others helps me. And sometimes they come to me with this problem, like, I've never even thought about that. I've never seen anything like that. I've I've got no clue. Let's dig through this together. And that gives them a chance to to realize, one, that people who've been in this business for decades, I won't tell you how many, uh, sometimes are just as lost. And it establishes with the new people that it's okay to not know the answer. Sure. And I, I think that especially I see a lot of kids coming out of college with the, they've been told find the answer. Um, And that's great. And especially you have to like have some goals to teach against, but a lot of times there's not one single correct answer in information security. There's multiple ways to solve things. There's multiple solutions to the problem. And I think that the new people that are coming in, giving them a chance to see somebody fail and to see the the breakdown and the, okay, let's work through this together and the collaborative effort um, helps them really expand. And, you know, like I said, it's great for me to 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 learn from them as well. I mean, it's a... It's almost humbling to see what the, what these kids come out of college is. When I came out of college, information technology was a was a concept, but you know, you 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 got a you would maybe get a degree as a computer operator or a computer programmer is what they would call it, um, and there wasn't really anything like a cybersecurity major like there is now, and so. Sure. Even um, when I even when I went to school, there wasn't a cybersecurity major. <laughs> it's only, it's been fantastic to to see what they're doing and, and see what they're they're coming with. Yeah. Um, yeah, you actually said that earlier on, like what your, you know, what it wasn't cybersecurity, it was you know network security or something. And what, so I I got my degree in infosec in 2012, and at that time, where I got my degree. It was the the actual name of the degree was like a you know a bachelor's in information assurance and network security, which nowadays mm-hmm. they would just call it a cybersecurity degree. But even then, right. which was only ten years ago, which is still which is crazy, you know, that, was, that was ten years ago, right? But you know, time flies or whatever. But even then, that was only ten years ago. Infosec was still not anywhere like it is today, which is like huge, right? Huge. Um, but yeah. It, just you know thinking about what you were just saying 
you know, I, I've done, uh, and sort of hearkening back to like what we were talking about certs and stuff. I've, I've done a number of like SANS courses and in, in, in that experience, the, the instructors in those courses, you know, they go through the motion teaching all the students, but what, where, where I really see the light come on, you know, behind the eyes as they're teaching is when people engage with them, ask questions, and they don't know how to answer the question. And they say, Oh, wow. Like, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. That's great. And they, they like, they write it down and you know, the very next day they're like, I spent all night researching that thing that you asked. And now I just, I like, I went down 10 rabbit holes and now I learned a bunch of stuff and I'm going to add it to the course. It's, it's, so it's that relationship you have with, you know, in that case, it's not a mentee, it's a bunch of students, but it's that relationship you have with people you are teaching where you get a lot back, like what you're saying. Um, and that's for them. You, uh, you know, I, it's been very evident how excited they get to be, to be challenged in that relationship. You know, it's not, obviously it's not adversarial. So when I say challenge, it means, you know, things, oh, yeah, yeah. things being brought to them that they didn't know that they get to go figure out. They would have never thought that. And that's why new faces, new perspectives, new questions come in because it helps challenge even even the best people in our field are stuck in certain ways in how they think and only with new perspectives can they can you or they or anyone really expand you know how they're thinking about a, a particular issue yeah and great example of that um i there was a, i made the news recently where an attacker got access into an environment um, and the way they did it was actually by exhausting the employee. So they sent 2FA push notification, 2FA push notification, 2FA push constantly until the person just got tired and hit yes instead of hitting no one time. And that was all it took to basically compromise the entire organization. I never would have thought of brute forcing a person like that. It just wouldn't have occurred to me. Sure. And there are other individuals where they're like, yeah, okay. I can totally see that happening. I'm like, okay. And and so you're right. We we need that. We need the not mics and we need the not nates. And uh I look forward to the day when cybersecurity or whatever it ends up being called, because it's been renamed several times, is recognized not so much as a job but as a practice and and let me kind of go into what i mean by that so doctors when they're going through the process they study a lot obviously they go through regular school they go through pre-med they go through med they go there's the interning there's the uh, a whole lot of education they have to go through before they're allowed to touch somebody. And I'm not advocating for that level of education for people working in cybersecurity. But what I am looking at is after a doctor is done, there's continuing education requirements. There's continued expansion roles that are expected of every every medical professional down the line. They don't call it they call it practicing medicine because you were never done getting better at it. And I, I really look forward to the day when cybersecurity takes that same approach where it's a, you're never done getting better at it. 
and that every employer recognizes that they have to continually invest in their staff to make sure that their staff can always be getting better at it. Kids, when they come out of college and they've, they've been learning, even if they're the, the, the best and brightest and uh, they haven't read the latest industry journal for the last 90 days, they're behind the times. And that puts them at a disadvantage. Um, you know, I start every morning reading what exploits were just released, what, you know, what the this is, what the that is, what the others, you know, who released what zero days and Microsoft was in the Microsoft patch Tuesday cycle. And OK, so what malware strains can I expect to be exploiting that and what geopolitical things are we expecting out of which country? Right. And you have to. Um, in order to be good at the defensive side of things, right? The the cleanup, you know, um, you have to know what a malware strain leaves behind to forensically find it, right? You, if you're like, oh, okay, I recognize when I start seeing this sort of an encryption header, it likely means somebody got Ryok Mountain ransomware. I'm just picking that randomly. But if you've not spent the time and done the reading and been exposed to it, you're not going to be able to make those calls. Sure. And so one of the things I think that scares off a lot of new people to, to cybersecurity um, is they think it's going to be, okay, I'm done my college. I've done my post-college work. They think of it in terms of certifications and I'm done. I'm done learning. I can go and just do my job. Um, and I've, I've had a couple of mentees come to me and I'm like, I've been in this industry for a very long time and I will always be learning until I retire. And even then probably I'll continue learning just because learning is so ingrained in me at this point in time. Sure. Um, so it, it's gotta be. Um, yeah. Let me, let me dive into that. Cause I, I've seen the same thing. There's a lot of, um, you know, uh, apprehension or weariness around, whether, whether, you know, and they, you know, a person believes they can succeed or even find a job to begin with in InfoSec because of that level of effort, that, that perceived level of effort or, or the, you know, actual level of effort it takes um, in order to, to, to keep current. And obviously there's a, there's a spectrum, not only in the reality of how up to date you need to be, but in in the the reality of not everyone does what you do every day but there are people there's people who do far less and there's maybe people who do you know there's there's people who do more right people do way more <laughs> and 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 the, the, but people across that spectrum there's people who have jobs and have had jobs for multiple years so the question is for some is certainly you don't need to read like I do or like you do maybe around like I have I have RSS feeds from five like I don't even know 3,000 different blogs and I read all of those every single morning I'm on like various subreddits I listen to podcasts I have my own thing I'm looking at new CVs that pop out I'm reading bug bounty write-ups like so I do all this stuff um but you don't need to do that I don't need to do all that I could do a fraction of that and still you know be successful in, in, in some in, in some manner. So um, I, I, I agree. Um, and this is me just somewhat playing devil's advocate, but like I agree that 
yes, you can't walk out of your, to, you know, with a degree in hand and say, I'm ready to do InfoSec for the next 20 years. Because certainly, right. I mean, just look at the last the last 20. Like, look at the last 12 hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, even, even, yeah, but, even the last five years, like it's changed so wildly and it just looks completely different, right? It, whatever you, whatever you thought you learned for Mac security two years ago is now, it's different now. Now it's a completely different computer yeah. architecture. Like, nope, like right. re, relearn it. It's, it's different now. Um, Which so, is... Yeah, Go. Well, yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm sort of saying the same thing over and over again, but, but it's, there, there, there's a, there's a spectrum to how much you, you know, and so finding what is comfortable for you, but understanding that, I mean, what, I mean, what you were explaining is, I think if you're a bleeding edge threat hunter, like, yeah, you need to know like what the new malware strains are and, and IOCs to look for and all this stuff. But can you be like, I think a lot of people want to know like what, and this is a bad way of putting it, but, but, and some people I think like, what's the minimum threshold? Like what's the minimum level right. of effort I need to like get the job and, and like maintain a job and then I'll work up from there. That's exactly where I was going. And so when I'm, when I'm mentoring folks, um, I take the stance of, I want you to have five minutes a day, five minutes. It's all I'm asking for every morning skim the headlines. So build an RSS feed, build a multi-reddit, whatever works for you. Um, but have something that puts it in front of you where you're seeing new things happening. And even if you're just spending five minutes skimming headlines, you're already ahead of 75% of the, the people out there. And if you find articles that are of interest, in to, interest to you, click into them and read them. Sure. And eventually, how, how did I phrase this? Eventually what happens is you're going to start building that mental map of what information you can go find where. I don't remember everything. Like I, there's, there's the key things you're doing as part of a, a digital forensics instruments. I like, I remember how to clone a hard drive. I could probably do it in my sleep. Right. And I remember how to how to start the carving process and the things that you do all day, every day. Yeah. You know, those things you remember and then you remember where to go find those specific things, those oddball things where you're just like, I read an article three years ago about blah. And I think it was on whatever. And so you just have to you build that mental map and you only build that mental map by doing, which is but it's so overwhelming in the beginning, which is why I take the give me five minutes every morning and skim that list. Sure. Yeah. And I also, um, yeah, also just to back to like what we were talking about around feeding, like having that curiosity, um, you know, I think feeding, then feeding that curiosity and you're not going to feed it unless you're giving yourself something to chew on. I, I, I mentioned I read through a ton of stuff. Do I read all those articles and have full comprehension and go in and do it? Like, no, I, I skim a lot. Mostly what I do is skim. And when I see something interesting, I most of the time I save it for later. But in some cases, I click on it. I'm gonna like, that looks interesting. I'm going to read about that. Um, and that gives you the opportunity to say, I looked at 99 things, but the, the 100th thing or the one of those 100 things looks interesting. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go and like in a DFI role, I'm going to go investigate that. I'm going to go write a snort rule for that thing that I yep. saw today. Right. And that, that way now you're getting, you know, 
novel practice on something and it feeds your curiosity, right? I mean, you could, you could, you could walk in that day at work for work and do the same thing you did yesterday, follow your playbooks you know, do, you do all the operational stuff, but that's only going to contribute to your, I feel like to your burnout and boredom. Um, if you're, if you're taking an active role in your own education and making it interesting, right? The reason probably why you got into the field to begin with, if it wasn't just for money, then, mm. right. And, and maybe nowadays that's the case. Certainly it hasn't always been, um, maybe some people do that now, but, uh, I think have taking, taking, you know, feeding your own curiosity in that way. And like you said, you can do it five minutes. Um, I mean, I, I sort of exaggerated the amount of stuff. I mean, I look at a lot of stuff. I spend way more than five minutes, but the amount of stuff I could do in five minutes, I think is, is a fair baseline, like a fair threshold to say, like, just scroll through some stuff for five minutes. Um, cause it, yeah. it, everything, especially in this field, there's, 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 a, there's plenty to look at. That's interesting each day. There's one other thing that um, I want to continue with that. So we, we tell them, spend five minutes reading or whatever. But then it's also on us, the people that have been around for a long time, to support them, to encourage them, to give them those resources to be successful. And what I see more depressingly is that people can get their foot in the door, but they're not supported to grow in their role. So you'll get someone hired in as a tier one sock analyst. And I I've I've got a mentee that actually just started in that role. And I'm very I'm actually very worried about it. And I'm gonna talk to her in our, our next one on one that I'm I'm concerned for her. Um burnout gets to be more of an issue when you don't see anywhere to go. If it's a, <laughs> so many of us are gamers, right? We, we, you know, uh, gaming is, is kind of our thing. Um, and sometimes in a game, you got to grind to get that special loot you want. Right. I've but if you're just grinding but for the sake of grinding and there's no path forward, there's no, you know, new shiny set of armor you're going to get. It gets really hard to stay motivated to grind. And I think that information security is the same way. If we don't, as a profession, make sure that people have a place to go, a path up, whether that path is up in technical skills or up in mentoring skills or up in man, 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 management skills. However, that path is for that individual. And for as many individuals there are, there are that many paths. But if we don't enable them as a profession to, to go somewhere and do something, then we're basically burning them out. We're saying you are not a, a valued individual you are a sleeve bearing in a machine. Um, and so that's actually where I've been mostly focusing on from a, when I take my, my analyst hat off and I put my manager hat on is a, how I can encourage the other people to grow once they've gotten in the door. Um, and I'd love to say I've got this, this perfect solution for you and your listeners here, Mike. I don't. Sure. Um, 
Yeah. I'm I'm trying the approach of having the junior members every every week at our sit down where we go over things. Um, I want you to tell me about one thing you learned. Um, I I don't know how much success I'm going to be. It's it's frankly been too soon to 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 tell if that's going to be a successful approach. Um, but I my hope is by saying okay, I want you the junior member to now teach me that this is the old dog here. I'm the old dog and I need to learn the new tricks that you did. Um, it flips that role right on its head. Um, and what I've seen is it helps pull people out of their shells. So getting the, getting into the industry is one thing. Staying in the industry is another challenge. Um, and I think if we're only focusing on half the equation, the IE getting the not Nates and the not Mike's in. We're not doing our best and we need to do more. And so like you touched on the, the burnout is a real thing. And my theory, whether it's right or wrong, is that by giving folks a, an escalation path forward, um, a, a career advancement or whatever, that we lessen the burnout and that by encouraging their curiosity they teach me about one thing we give them the chance to define the niche that they're following sure. so when i started in the industry you know it, it didn't i didn't think i was going to end up doing digital forensics and incident response i really didn't i seriously thought i was going to be swapping out laptop motherboards for 50 years um but like you like you said, it's that curiosity, it's that drive to do better, it's that drive to learn more. Um, I think that that really does that really does push this industry forward. And um the people that have that drive and that that thirst for knowledge and that thirst for personal betterment are the ones that are gonna be around long term. The person that's here saying it pays great. Um, it's probably not in it for the long term, especially when they realize, yeah, the pay might be decent, but um, sometimes you're going to get called on Christmas Day and have to stop unwrapping presents with your family and go respond to an incident just because the bad guys don't take the holidays off. They really don't. Sure. Um, and I have had to apologize to my family I'm on call this week and I got a call on Christmas day one year. Um, so I, I think that a lot of people that are in it for the money are in it for the wrong reason. I think that, that you need to be in it because you have that, that bent mind. Like I talked about the curiosity, you mentioned the drive to learn and try new things like we've talked about the attitude that my mentor talked about. I think that those are the, the people that will do phenomenal. Sure. And, and frankly, they're the ones that are going to lift you and me up into new categories and new stratospheres. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you, I mean, I think probably you could survive. And, and if you're, if you're, if your attitude towards a career in InfoSec was it pays well, and I'm here because of that, I think you're going to be, perpetually discontent because you're going to be fighting your own like human desire to like to learn uh, and be curious so it helps to find something that you're truly 
or at least marginally interested in and curious about so that you can be content with what you're doing in your job. But from, from like a becoming content and, and combating burnout, you know, I definitely agree around your, your sort of, you know, point about growth, um, having that, having a place, you know, consider yourself a plant, you know, to, to move into, um, you know, and I, you know, I can speak from my own experience, um, in a previous role where sure would I have liked more money or would I have liked more X, Y, yeah, maybe, but, but the, what made me discontent in that role was the lack of growth, um, the lack of ability to work in the areas that were interest to me and to, I think, and maybe similarly important, not just learn those things, but, but, but make an impact in those areas. I mean, it's one thing to be told, yeah, go off in the corner and do that if you want, or go take this, like, go take a cert on that. But yeah. unless you're, unless you're being given the ability to come back and do something meaningful with that knowledge and make an, like make it, make it, uh, you know, realize an impact for your organization. It's, it's, it's going to be somewhat toothless. Like, I mean, you can go, I mean, I've, I've taken countless certs. Um, so, well, I'll give you an example. I did like a mobile device pen testing cert. Came back, never really, never really did any mobile device pen testing. So it's sort of empty, empty card, or like it, it didn't do much for me. Now, if I, if instead I could come back and be handed a bunch of, uh, you know, IPA files or, or you know, mobile devices to do forensics on or pen testing, like now I get to sort of now I get to actually see that curiosity, that initial curiosity fed. Um, so I think as a manager, and and it goes both ways because I see people who. Um, deprive themselves of honest conversations with their managers because it, it can be tricky because you don't want to be told no. Um, and so sometimes maybe it starts with the manager being told, like, you know, having the headroom to give to employees to go, you know, have a creative license and, you know, follow their dreams or whatever to, to sound somewhat cliche. But, you know, <clears throat> I think a lot of any organization you go to, every single discipline within that organization whether deep be defer pen testing GRC you name it doesn't have enough man like power like people who are doing that role so I I think no matter what what you're doing now there's the ability for you to help in any area and so I think you know let allowing people to grow in that way is super important um, I think I jumped like eight different concepts there but but but, but just dude, that ability to like j- like say that looks interesting I want to go do it to the extent that I can and have the ability to and be given that license to do so I think is super important and you you hit the nail on the head from what I was trying to convey Mike you really did it does fall back on management and um, it's on us as managers once we find those people, once we, we find the folks with the curious mindset to enable them to be successful. And my employer may not like hearing this, although I've told them, sometimes that means you tell people, listen, you're amazing, but you need to go do this elsewhere because I'm holding you back. Um. So Scott, if you're listening, I'm sorry. 
Um, so sometimes that means you say, listen, I'm happy to support you in your role. I am elated to support you in your role. And unfortunately, that means that your role, your role here is too small for you. You're too good. You're too talented. You're, you're too amazing to stay here. I, I've got somebody on my team right now that I'm like, I cannot challenge this individual enough. And I don't know what I'm going to do when they leave. Um, and I, I've told him that I'm like, dude, I, I don't, I don't know how to keep you, but I want to. And so we're going to have to work together. I'm going to have to help you grow into roles. And I don't even know what those roles are going to look like. Because if you're not growing, if you're not learning, if you're not advancing, you're doing yourself a disservice. If you're, if you didn't learn something today, uh, I've said this before. If you, if I haven't learned something today, I'll have to pick up a dictionary and go learn a new word. Right. Um, it's an exaggeration, but it's kind of the right thing to be in this industry. You have to learn constantly. And as leaders in the industry, we have to enable people to learn constantly. And so many folks are like, we need more, we need more people. We need more, we need more headcounts. We need more junior folks to bring in, to learn to this, that, and the other. And that's great. And I agree. And we need new blood and we need people that aren't me and aren't you, but we also need to support them and to encourage them and to help them grow. Because if we don't, like you touched on, that's, that's where the burnout really gets to be the, the case. That's, that's where it hits you in the backside where you're like, listen, I've been pushing the same buttons for the same widget for the last 18 months. And sure, I get a paycheck, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. And that's why you, you see, especially in this industry, you'll see people that'll be at a job for two years and they'll hop or, you know, 18 months and they'll go to the next role and they'll go to the next role. And they'll, they'll tell you it's because they got a promotion or whatever. But I think more so it's because their management failed them in giving them a growth path. Because if you if you have a growth path, if you have a here's how you can advance in the organization and here's how we're going to support you in growing in the organization. And that support is not just in in mentoring. It's in sending you to training that is interesting to you as the employee that may not be the most beneficial to the organization, but is beneficial. I mean, it's not just a, you know, it can't just be a, hey, go take whatever class you want. There has to be value on both sides. But you do have to make sure that that employee feels valued and feels supported and feels encouraged to grow. And um Yeah. Yeah, like I, I, I think I mentioned the word impact, and I, I only recently sort of started thinking about that word because, especially like in the tech industry, there's a lot of, you know, around the promotion cycle or just around the work that you do is all around impact. And the way that I first thought about that was, you know, impact for the company, right? So if you're you have what you do is high impact, it's doing a lot of meaningful stuff for the company. But I think it sort of goes the other way around if 
presumably if you're doing something that's high impact, not only is it important for the company, but it should be meaningful to you in the context of the role because you're 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 the one who's providing that value. So I think making sure that management understands that if somebody is providing a you know services that are high impact to the organization that they're getting that you know uh, that reciprocated kudos right um so that you know people feel like they're making a difference and i think like that's i mean i think humans are driven by a lot of things um and everyone's a little bit different but um i think people innately want to learn they like to be told they're doing a good job or that they made a difference right it's not a selfish thing it's it's um you know i just think that's the way i mean circling back to what we started with um just around social media uh i think i mean it's just the way that humans interact um and so i don't think anyone likes to toil right in a in a basement and do operational stuff all day and that never seems to to make a difference and they're not told that, that that what they're doing makes a difference um and so i think having that relationship with your organization with your manager um and and knowing that what you're doing is important and that you know you're you're getting better or you have a, you have a place to go yeah it's all it's all super important yeah yeah i think it's- we've said it you know one thing um when out we're, we've been we've been at this now for 70 plus minutes um i when i when i first when i when i when i messaged you and we were setting this up i thought you know we were going to get into some some real some real deeper technical specifics and maybe we can we'll, we'll do we'll do like a part two we can do a follow-up yeah we'll do a part two and all um because it's it's one area for me professionally that i think i have the least amount of exposure to um i've done like vulnerability management like i was a front like i was a developer early on so a lot of like appsec grc red team offensive security stuff and more academically i've done uh dfir or sock stuff and um you know network forensics and reverse engineering and malware analysis and that sort of stuff um but one area that yeah i want to learn a lot more about so um I'm happy to come back on the show at another time and we can do a dive into a specific defer topic. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, I, I pick a topic. We can, we can dive into it. Um, yeah. Maybe talk know. through like a investigation or something. I think that'd be cool. Cause I've, I've been sort of part of it like tasked because obviously I've been working in the field for 10 plus years. I've been a part of multiple incidents in one way or another. Um, but you know, my piece in that has always been somewhat like someone gives you the direction. Someone like me says, I need a database administrator to dump the tables and go look for this string or this value or these changes for this reason. Yeah, it's like part of, you know, some incident response plan says, Hey, go talk to Mike because he run he's the admin for like tenable and can tell you what vulnerabilities existed on these systems at this time. But I, but, but in terms of like my involvement in an investigation from beginning to end, it's, I've not been that. So I I think it'd be cool to talk through that a little bit. Um, but we'll save that for another time. Um, but we can absolutely get back together. It'll be a little more challenging doing that in a, in an audio only format, especially as somebody that's very a visual processor. Sure. Um, Well, Hey, I love the challenge. 
right it, it'll be it'll be you new for me and new for you yeah cool all right mike thank you i've i've i can't tell you how much i've enjoyed this conversation it's been a blast yeah likewise nate